0: Okay, welcome in everybody to this episode of Mythic Existence. Today's episode is about hauntology, a concept created by the French philosopher Jacques Derrida and later adopted by the cultural critic Mark Fisher. Over the course of this episode, we'll hope to see how we are haunted by our lost futures and by our imagined pasts. So sit back, relax, and get ready for another great episode of Mythic Existence. So the concept of hauntology started in... Jock Derrida's 1993 book Specters of Marx and if you know anything about Derrida you know that he's a very difficult person to read um you know he wrote in a way that he kind of played around with language and sort of played into the ambivalence and the ambiguous nature of language itself and so I've been working my way through Specters of Marx his book I haven't finished it yet it's a difficult read for a few different reasons. Uh, one was it was actually delivered as a speech or like a talk, I believe, in the first place, which is just crazy that he got a full book out of it. And, you know, he's he's French, so English isn't his native language and he's playing with the words himself, And so he's kind of a difficult person to decipher as notoriously difficult even for academics to read, but uh, you know his ideas are really fascinating. And seeing as I'm a folklorist who's interested in the supernatural, I had heard the concept of hauntology be brought up here and there and I figured that it was had something to do with actual hauntings and with like supernatural ghosts themselves, but it really doesn't. So we'll try and unpack. What it actually means and how it's being used in philosophy today is going to be basically the goal of this episode. So, basically, when Derrida is writing, he's looking for partial ghosts, and that's what the hauntology is. He's looking for what is there but not fully there, and he does that both with his deconstruction of language, but also at how he looks at philosophers at the past. So uh, philosophers are trying to, you know, get these overarching truths about the nature of reality, but there's always something implicitly missing in, in what they're saying and what they're arguing. And the word hauntology itself is actually a play on the word ontology, which is basically a way of knowing. And so all ontologies are shadowed by a hauntology. And in French, the word ontology and hauntology are basically said the same way. So that's kind of his play on words that he does. And one of the reasons why he's kind of difficult to, to read and decipher. So, what he's trying to exercise is what is called the repressed term, and this rep- this repressed term is in between the primary word and the secondary or supplementary word. So, in English, based on our culture, we have a primary and secondary word. Man is primary to woman, philosophy is primary to poetry, culture is primary to nature, and ultimately, presence is primary to absence. So in between those two terms is the repressed nature of of those terms. So the ghost is halfway between the presence and absence, and the ghost itself marks the absence that supplements the primary term. And Derrida, he wrote his book in 1993 and this was right after, you know, the fall of communism and Marx, Karl Marx was declared dead by a lot of people. But Derrida said Marx isn't dead, but he's not fully alive. So he's trying to figure out where that specter, uh, the ghost of Marx is actually coming in and haunting our civilization essentially. So yeah, he's trying to find the haunts of those who are not fully dead, they're not fully alive, and their specters is the hauntology. And essentially there's two types of specters. The first is that of the lost origin, and the second is that of the aborted future that we are not going to have. So as far as the lost origin is concerned, it is basically based off of our drive towards nostalgia and looking back at a past that doesn't exist but we imagine Um, it's kind of this utopia that we have created and projected into the past that kind of uh, going back to the episode about Terrence McKenna that you could argue that there's a bit of a hauntology there because maybe this imagined archaic past that McKenna kind of creates might not even exist and in fact the word utopia itself means no place so it's a really great word for this situation and basically we're constantly being haunted by our past you see this a lot with uh especially like conservative commentators being like we we're losing our past and we're losing our values Um, you know, people like Candace Owens, but this, that past doesn't exist. It's, it's not something that we've lost. It's something that we haven't actually ever have, you know, the good, it's looking back at the good old days, but the good old days for everybody weren't the good old days for, or the good old days for some people aren't the good old days for everybody, right? (laughs) Like the sixties were the good old days for the white man, but they weren't, the good old days for the black man, right? So that's our lost origins. And the second is miscarried futures. And simply put, this aborted future is basically almost a nostalgia, just like we have nostalgia for the past. It's kind of a nostalgia for a future that's not going to happen. It seems like we're headed towards an inevitable future as opposed to a future that we want or that we desire. So that's basically what the miscarried future is. So in the 21st century, Derrida's mission was taken up by a man named Mark Fisher. And a lot of what I'm going to be talking about comes from an article he wrote called What is Hauntology? And Mark Fisher, I've found, is a very, very good writer. Not saying that Derrida isn't a good writer. He's actually such a good writer that he's hard to understand. He's kind of almost like Shakespeare a little bit in that way. Not to compare anybody to Shakespeare, but it's just, you know, Shakespeare was so good at writing and so far beyond all of us that it was difficult to decipher. That's kind of how Derrida is, I think. But Fisher is a very... He, he, I mean, he's incredibly intelligent and academic in his writing, but he's he. It's you're able to figure out what's going on. So, kind of the second wave of hauntology actually came from electronic music, and Mark Fisher he talks about how by 2005, electronic music could no longer deliver sounds that were futuristic, and some bands started making these these albums with, like, spectral atmospheres in them. And they were almost ghostly. One of those bands is called The Caretaker that is named after Jack, Jack Torrance and The Shining. And we're going to talk about how The Shining is actually, like, the most hauntological movie that there is. And so hauntology is kind of, in a lot of ways, turned to a cultural criticism. It appears in music and film quite a bit where where we can look at hauntologies so in the music we were living after the future we couldn't make a futuristic sound anymore and so the disappearance of this future meant that we couldn't imagined a world better than the one we were living in anymore it's almost as if we were accepting where our culture would continue going without changing and that's kind of this miscarried future Uh, We're living in Francis Fukuyama's End of History. And Fisher says that the future is always experienced as a haunting. It's a virtuality that is impinging on the present and is conditioning our expectations. And that's kind of crazy to think about. Like, it's, I mean, we all, at least I do have this future that I would like to create, but it's almost like, you know, that that's too hard to do. So you accept this future that is constantly being created based off of our culture at the present time. One example of this miscarriage of the future, basically, that Fisher cites are the brutalist buildings that were in a, a product of communism, basically, that were bulldozed. He says that that was a sign that the future did not arrive and fisher also talks about these kind of two directions that hauntology takes he says that we have a compulsion to repeat and basically repeat our fatal patterns and on the other hand we are constantly being haunted by the future and was not what has not happened yet but which is already effective in the virtual so that's basically the point is that we're, we're haunted by the future that seems inevitable, but also by the fact that we're not going to get the future that we desire. And Fisher talks about the movie The Shining in his piece, What is Hauntology? And I think it actually somebody else wrote about it, but he really summarized it super well as far as how it fits into Shine uh, Hauntology. So, Hauntology happens when a place is stained by time. And one quote that Derrida always uses is time is out of joint from Hamlet. And he he really goes through and uses Hamlet actually as like a key source for his concept of hauntology. And so the play Hamlet is actually the, you know, the first real cultural Um, product that describes what hauntology or at least predicts what it is and likewise the shining who is created by another genius in my opinion stanley kubrick it predicts much of the modern preoccupations with modern hauntology and in fact hollywood has been haunted ever since this period of film specifically Kubrick's work, as well as uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese. And The Shining was released when neoliberalism and neoconservative conservatism were taking over. The Fordist industrial production was going away, and it, it was being replaced by more immaterial forms of labor. And the bland office that Jack meets with the manager reflects the non-places that were coming in corporate hyperdomination. And the rest of the hotel looks back at the repressed specters of American and world history. I mean, there's the movie Room 237 documentary that is kind of uh, trying to pick apart what's actually going on in The Shining. And, I mean, that movie is all about the extermination of Native Americans, and the Holocaust, organized crime, and just general atrocities of the patriarchy, basically. And many of Jack's encounters reflect this ont- ontology. There's a scene where he meets with his pr- predecessor, who is experienced as uh, a ghost, and as well, it-, it gives us a way of understanding the the picture at the end of the movie where Jack Torrance is, you know, his picture is, uh, you know, placed in the 1920s, I think it is or whatever, uh, of the past. So it's basically we're, we're doomed to repeat this, this past and create the future with it. And Derrida was really interested in what he called teletechnologies. And it's really interesting that a lot of these movies that were taking place in you know the 80s were were about telepathy and of course the shining was about was written by stephen king but kubrick really took it and kind of alchemically transmuted it into what it is as we know it and it's interesting that a lot of the malevolent forces in the shining used telepathy to manifest their presence and so this reflects anxieties about action at a distance that contemporary power assumes. And I mean, we've definitely experienced that a lot during COVID where a lot of us are working remotely, but still the still the power of our corporate overlords is felt through screens and through teletechnologies. I mean, we're meeting through Zoom and we're living in our houses and apartments, but we're still being controlled at a distance by, uh, you know, these, these, uh, overlook hotel manager types. Right. Uh, and in the shining Jack is he's the caretaker, but he lacks agency. He belongs to the hotel, but only as a caretaker. So he ensures that the past, the obscene, homicidal underside of the patriarchy keeps repeating. And I think that that's what the meaning of the ghost picture of him and really hauntology in general is. So that's it for today's episode. Mythic Existence is now on Patreon. I want to talk a a little bit about that real quick. Uh, I do have a Patreon account set up. Go ahead and you know subscribe and donate if you would like to um i mean it costs me 12 dollars each month just to host my podcasts and i do quite a bit of research obviously my main goal is to you know hopefully get popular enough where i can sell ads on the podcast and actually make some money doing this but i mean i spend a lot of time and a lot of effort um for obviously right now i'm not making any money off podcasts but i definitely obviously would like to so take a look and donate if you'd like to also be sure to follow the podcast instagram and twitter pages as well as the youtube channel thanks for listening see you next time